from Vinepairs New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vinepair Podcast. And guess what else it is? It's white motherfucking truffle season. And if you guys want to get up on white truffles, you want to send me some. No, I'm just really excited about white truffles because I follow Frank Prinzano of Frank's and Suffer Restaurant. And I like to send his videos to Keith. And he's really all about white truffle season right now. And I'm just like, yeah, man, it is white truffle season. And let's go. (laughs) Adam, what is your favorite favorite dish to have white truffles on? I mean... Anything really, oh, but I like it on pizza. Actually, oh. I like I like I like a nice pizza. I also like, you know, I like to make pasta myself. Uh-huh. Make a nice little butter sauce, some white truffles. It's not like I get white truffles that often. Let's be clear. <laughs> but when 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 I get when I you know, but Frank says he's got an in. He's got he knows a guy, so maybe I can get some from him. I feel like it was a year ago that you were telling us about that 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 pasta you made. Uh, yeah, I made white truffles once last year. Mm-hmm. I would like to make it again. I feel like if anyone in this office knew a guy, it would be Keith. So maybe I should talk to him and see if he knows a dealer. <laughs> you can't buy on the open market. That's what Frank teaches you if you follow him on Instagram. Can't buy on the Too open expensive. market. Too expensive. Yeah, yeah. Too expensive. You got to know a guy that brings it over in a cooler from Italy. Brown bag. <laughs> Brown bag. <laughs> Adam, why don't you just take a trip to, to Alba during the truffle festival some year? <gasps> Oh, I have been there during the Truffle Festival. Oh, okay. Just so you know. It was on accident. I didn't mean to be there then, <laughs> but I was there, and it was glorious. Yep. Naomi says that in her in her next life, she wants to come back as a truffle pig. Oh, my God. That's so so I have been truffle hunting in, in Alba or in Piedmont. Really? Yeah. My, when, you have been truffle hunting? Uh-huh. Yeah. Caitlin and I went out when we were uh, on a trip there before we had kids, and uh, we went out with uh, a guide and, and his dog. So, you know, I think they use both dogs and pigs. Mm. Yes. And, I think they uh, only actually use dogs, but the pig is a much cooler idea. <laughs> yeah. The dog is uh, the nimbler and less damaging to the forest, as it turns out. Oh, I know, uh, but pigs are so cute. They are. Well, dogs are also cute, I'd like to be clear. <laughs> I love dogs, but like just the idea of a truffle pig. Yeah, no, it's a great – it's definitely a great image, if nothing else. <laughs> But I think the dogs are better in the sort of more mountainous terrain of uh, Piedmont. So uh, anyhow, uh, it was a lot of fun. We found truffles. I'm still like only partially convinced that it was we actually found them and not that they were like planted there. But uh, that's okay. We got to eat them. Part of them. That was great. So yeah, it's all good. They do it for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't want to show you their actual spots. Maybe. You know what I mean? I bet that's what it is. I mean, I had no it's fucking like clue where we They don't were. want you to see where they actually find them. That's probably true, too. Right. That's, I mean, you guys have seen that movie, right? The Truffle Hunters? No, I haven't no. seen it oh, yet. Oh, it's great. I with the dogs. It. Oh, it's so good. It like <laughs> melts, melts your heart. Much like a truffle <laughs> shaved onto some freshly made pasta just melts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. So, guys, I'm more than happy if you have access to truffles and you want to DM me. Uh, I will send you my address. We can talk. We can talk truffle deals. Would you, would you drink a cocktail with truffle on top? Hell no. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, how has that not become a thing? That no. feels like the like ultimate fuck you garnish. Yeah. Why, why isn't someone's like yeah, that's forty dollars like, mar- <sighs> caviar bump? Give me a give me a truffle yeah. float. If a anyone, float. you know what? If there's a place that starts shaving truffles on top of their cocktail, I'm gonna walk in there, order the drink, and smash it on the floor. No, <laughs> that's it. Adam, that's it. That's just horrible. <laughs> but I will only drink nebs with it. Yes, Nebbiolo. <laughs> yeah, you didn't realize Adam was uh, Adam was on a, a, a personal relationship with a variety. <laughs> yeah, it's it's called it's Nebs to me. Nebs. Anyways, so uh, what have you been drinking, Zach? God, 
We're even more off the rails than normal. Um, so I had the opportunity to go to a really fun dinner uh, the other night that was put on here in Seattle by Averna, the Amaro from Sicily, oh. or an Amaro from Sicily. Oh, cool. And, yeah. And uh, they were doing actually- Black in, Manhattan. I did have a Black Manhattan. You damn well better believe yeah. it. I had, so it was a, a dinner that was put on actually at a restaurant I used to work at, which is kind of fun, uh, in conjunction with Seattle Restaurant Week, which is, um, you know, promotion here that it's actually really cool. They, they've, they've totally revamped it. One of the things they're doing here locally that I really appreciate is they've sort of created a whole bunch of different price tiers as opposed to what it used to be, which was just kind of like one price that was across the board for all the restaurants that participated. And so we have, there's yeah. like food trucks and pop-ups and fine dining restaurants and everything in between participating. Well, so it's really fun. pretty cool. And uh, they've done a really good job of, I think there's some financial and promotional support for some restaurants and, and people who are producing food from cuisines that may not always participate in it. So it, it, I think it's a kind of a cool uh, revamp of a promotion that, you know, quite honestly, from my perspective in the restaurants, by the time uh, the last time I did it was feeling pretty stale, and I think felt that way to diners too, to some extent. In any case, it was a, a fun dinner. Uh, definitely drank a few different presentations of Averna from just you know neat, or actually I think on a couple of cubes to uh, yeah the Black Manhattan and a few other cocktails. Really tasty um, and just a fun night. <laughs> and you know, I got to go out and like do a thing uh, as an adult. Didn't have to like deal with children or even frankly my wife, and that was nice too. So a rare treat for me. Well, I feel like you don't see Averna in a ton of stuff. Like in a ton of cocktails. Yeah. yeah. No, you don't. I think it's because it has such a, you know, the the Southern Italian Amari, they're a little sweeter generally. They have a lot of kind of like mm-hmm. nuttiness and like more of that sort of rich, the sort of like dark, I don't know, rich tones, like almost chocolatey. And not that you can't use it in cocktails, but I think that you've seen more more of the central and northern Italian Amari get get popularized because they're a little lighter. And so they, they're maybe a little mm. easier to integrate into a cocktail um, or into some cocktails. Like I think Averna, you kind of need uh, a brown spirit, you know, whiskey generally. Uh, yeah. Whereas like, I think with like an Onino or something, you can certainly use it with whiskey as, you know, famously in the paper plane, but you could also use it with gin and it wouldn't necessarily kind of overwhelm the base spirit. Yeah. Where I think with Averna, you would just kind of, it, I'm sure it could be done. I'm sure the Averna folks are, they're listening to this or like angrily firing up an email for us. But I think it's hard. There, are, <laughs> There's maybe just, there's not that you can't make great drinks, obviously the Black Manhattan, great cocktail, but uh, it's, it's, I think maybe a little harder to have as much. Uh, as many base spirits that play well with it as maybe um, some other Amari. I mean, you better be damn sure if you're an Amaro that you would like to be in a very well-known cocktail. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the paper plane basically elevated Nonino to heights that it never would have been at had that cocktail not existed. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, modern classic, as we've discussed on the podcast, you know, and I think definitely, I would say much more well-known than the black Manhattan by far. Sure. I mean, I have those two bottles, though, for those two cocktails. Really? Yeah, like I've yeah. wanted to make them at home, so I have to have those things. Here's here's my thing about it, though. Like, I like both of those cocktails. I think I like the paper plane more. Mm-hmm. I do. I don't think. I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I also will drink Nonino on its own sure. much more often than I would have earned, I mm-hmm. think. For the same thing that you are talking about, Zach, for me, it's like a little too sweet. Yeah. Um. It, so, we're yeah. getting into but we're getting into that time of year not. though, where like uh, on a cold yes. yeah, fall totally. winter day might be nice. Anyhow, yeah, do you know what you drinking? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm drinking th- for the pod. So much pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> this past weekend, Evan and I went to a concert at Webster Hall, and so I was like, I think we need to go to a cocktail bar before because I need to talk about something on the podcast. <laughs> so we went to Temple Bar, um, which I hadn't been to in a while, and I just really like it there. 
It's I, nice. It was like we went early enough where it wasn't super crowded. Um, the fashion scene hadn't arrived yet. Exactly. And um, I love their cocktails there. I had a take on a pina colada, cool. which was very good. And um, a passion fruit spritz, which was also Ooh, good. Nice. And I'm calling it now that passion fruit is like the next big flavor. I think we're seeing it a lot on menus. Mm. I think, you know, we were discussing it earlier this mm. week. When will the uh, the sorry, the porn star martini have its moment in the States? Because it's very popular mm-hmm. everywhere else. But I think it's coming. We'll That's, see. Joanna, you yeah, had this we'll take see. like two months ago. I know. You, you've well, been on it for a while. I continue you're to getting, have it. <laughs> you're just getting validation at this point. Yes, exactly. Also, the last thing I'll say about Temple Bar and why I like it so much and why I liked the original version of it is because they do bar snacks. Like you get popcorn when you go there. And I just think that's a really nice part of a drinking experience. I love that too. I think that that's a, like something that we don't do here enough that yeah. it's uh, that always happens in Europe. Yeah. It's like you got to have a little something while you drink. You know? Do bars yeah, not do this just, anymore? I feel like I don't go to enough bars, but. Few and far between. Very huh. few and far between. Yeah. Huh. That's a bummer. Very few and far between. And I, I think know. it's like the places, it's nice like um, <clears throat> at Temple Bar, the the drinks are kind of expensive, whatever, $21. It's nice when you get a little thing of popcorn Yeah, with it. Agreed. But I also had a snackery. There? Mm-hmm. Nice. Because they do have a section of mini cocktails on their menu. Oh, wow. So we're going to talk about that soon. Yes. Nice. So we could talk about that in the context of our conversation today. But first, why don't you tell us what you've been drinking, Adam? So I went to one of my favorite Italian restaurants earlier this week, Lorena Pastaficio and Vino. Mm-hmm. And um, I had really awesome wines there. Um, I had a Timorasso that was just He's doing incredible. a sh- chef's kiss right now, everyone. Chef's mm-hmm. kiss, Yeah. Uh, that was awesome. Andrea, who's one of the owners and the, the beverage director there is just, he's the best and he's, his list is awesome. And I think it's cool that like, it's, it's been interesting to me. I'm curious to explore this on another podcast episode, but I find actually, at least right now in New York, that restaurants like this, like Lorena actually have more interesting wine lists currently tiny, tiny spot than fancy restaurants do. I think the fancy restaurants have pretty boring wine lists right now. I think it's, like, because they're all, thing? I think it's a volume thing. They're all, they're all trying to buy Burgundy. Mm-hmm. Like they're all trying to buy, you know, so like they're all competing for the same pile. Whereas like it's these spots with just that are like the, you know, we, the place you would go to every week yeah. that's affordable that have these deep lists where like, yeah, I mean, you could drink something expensive if you wanted to on the list, they have some old stuff, but then they just have really great value and pretty deep lists if they have space. Was the um, bottle you had expensive? It was like. 70 bucks, 60 okay. bu- 65 bucks. But then we did have one that we did a little splurge on, which was a ni- 1990 Montebuono, wow. which was awesome. But he had a vertical of cool. these wines that like just, you know, he had 1990 and 1991. It was just really, really cool. That's fun. And again, he has it because I don't know, maybe, maybe they don't think it's, it's too much of a hand sell at Chisiamo or, mm. you know, your other trendy high end Italian restaurant in New York that's too big and therefore inconsistent. Like it's they they have a core clientele. I feel like Papina is the same way we've talked about this before, right? Mm-hmm. It's a small spot, but super quality food. They have a very loyal clientele and they have an amazing wine list. Like and I would say again a wine list I think can compete very, very easily with some of the top restaurants in the city because they care and they have a clientele that cares. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. So those were the two best things I drank this week. Then had some had some cocktails earlier in the week, but 
nothing else that was like worth writing home about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but we got a reader email. Yes. Uh, this week that was a podcast episode idea. Um, so a reader named Chelsea wrote, uh, sorry, a listener named Chelsea wrote (laughs) in and, uh, want us to discuss like this, this move she's noticing, especially in New York to specifically the martini, but I actually think it's a trend pretty much across the board of shrinking the martini glass down and serving martinis now in cordial glasses Mm. and feeling like, is that actually less martini? Um, And I think it's a really curious conversation to have because I had an opposite conversation with Josh, my co-founder and vine pair, when we went out to dinner last week um, with another member of like the industry talking about martinis and Josh's father's massive martinis he makes every night. So basically my, my thing is I actually don't think the martini is getting smaller. I think that the glass is getting smaller to make the consumer feel like the glass is full. So the traditional martini, right, the, the martini that I make at home that most people – like the, the spec that bartenders expect talk about – Tim talks about it well as well, right? It's like two – what is it? It's, it's two and a half ounces I think or usually three ounces of, of gin and like a half ounce of vermouth or 0.75 ounces of vermouth, right? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a massive cocktail, Right. And these huge martini glasses usually can hold seven, eight, nine ounces. What we learned from Josh is his dad makes a martini that fills the martini glass because he thinks, having gone out to like steakhouses his entire life, that the martini is supposed to go to the rim. And that's what I think a lot of these old school restaurants had convinced people, especially when you were not making actual martinis. You were making basically shaken vodka or gin on ice, right, that you're then straining into the glass. The bar's like, yeah, screw it. Like, let's shake it with as much ice as possible, dilute it, and just dump it into the glass to the rim. Now that we're going to places that are, like, the martinis back, we're making traditional martinis. I think that the the bar realizes if they serve it in the traditional glass, it's going to look like you got stiffed. Right. So they're looking for glassware that is smaller to make it look completely full. Because at least at one of the bars I think she's talking about, that is a... Full, that is a, a, a to tr- the brim to, to a but it is to spec right it is the right amount of analysis but it's to the brim mm-hmm. and I think they're doing that because they want you to feel like you got a full glass but they want to serve you a traditional gla- a traditional martini because if they served you a martini that was in a big glass you'd get really fucked really fast yeah I mean I think that's the other thing is you can't forget like these gla- these are very boozy cocktails yeah like this isn't like a daiquiri that we can maybe do in a traditional daiquiri glass and. You know, shaking it with enough juice and things like that that were somewhat dil- somewhat diluting the spirit. Like, this is all, you. you know, the martini, the Manhattan, like this is all spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's what's actually happening. But I will also admit that I do feel like there are some cocktails that are getting smaller. Such as? So, you know, I think you do see like a, a smaller glass for the old fashioned so maybe there's okay. like a like a, a reduction of ounces there, but for the most part, I don't think that people are moving to serve you less. I haven't experienced that. I have experienced sort of what we talked about, which is that there's this other section of menus now, which are smaller cocktails, like yeah. snack cocktails, where you yeah, could minis. try minis. Mm-hmm. I think that's more of a trend than less cocktail. But I don't know. Maybe maybe you, you both have seen something different. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen the the mini trend and a mini section on menus, not just from this weekend, but in, in looking at different cocktail bar menus um, across the country recently. And what I th- find kind of fascinating about that, and Chelsea also kind of mentions this in her email, is that these drinks kind of feel hard to justify 
getting because they're very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so when you have this idea that you're drinking less for more money, um, it's kind of hard to swallow. Why wouldn't you just make yourself cocktails at home? Um, But for these minis, like at Temple Bar, for example, their full-size cocktails were $21, but the mini snackery was $12. And it was a shot glass, pretty much, yeah, <laughs> of cocktail. And I think at in other markets across the country, like twelve dollars is what you're going to pay for a regular cocktail. a regular yeah. cocktail. So that's what I find really fascinating about this m- movement towards mini cocktails on menus because they're pretty expensive um, for for what you're getting there. But it's I don't know. Is it like when I ordered it, the waitress asked me why? Like if she was like, it's re- seriously, she was like, it's really small. Like, are you trying to drink something like lower ABV? Is that why? And I, I was like, no, I just wanted to try it. But, but I'm curious to know why these mini cocktails have made their way onto menus. I'm also curious to understand like why we make it onto menus if your service staff isn't going to question yeah. why people order it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a different thing entirely. But yeah, that is strange. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Zach? So I think. I can't speak to Chelsea's specific email because she's really talking about New York City. And uh, as everyone is painfully aware, that's not where I am. And so I I haven't seen any of that kind of trend, uh, you know, at this point. I still make my cocktails at home the same size as always, generally. Uh, Sometimes (laughs) sometimes bigger, honestly. (laughs) But uh, what I would say is that there are are probably two kind of competing and sort of unresolvable tensions here. One is, look, we are in this period of... You could at least fairly say there's some economic uncertainty going on at the moment. You know, there's a lot of talk sure. about whether we're entering or are in a recession, whether one is coming. And that affects both consumers and proprietors. And would it shock me to know, you know, bars have to be very conscientious about poor cost. And while an extra quarter or a half ounce of spirit and a drink to you or me might not seem like a big deal. When you multiply that out over a number of drinks over the course of an evening, over a week, Mm -hmm. over a month, over a year, it really does add up. And it wasn't until I started really kind of being on the managerial side that I saw that, you know, you really see the math and you go, Oh shit. Yeah. It really makes a difference. You know, what spirit we use in this cocktail. And if we use a a spirit that's $3 more a bottle, well, it doesn't take that long for that amount of money to actually matter uh, if we're making enough of them. And, so I think you will you have always seen proprietors, bars, et cetera, not just looking for ways to make their cocktails a little bit less expensive uh, as a sort of, you know, on a costing side, but also, frankly, walk that line between keeping costs in check and also making guests feel like they're getting their money's worth. And, you know, you talked to, we've talked about in this context, using slightly smaller glassware to not to, so that people don't feel like they're not getting um, enough volume. It's also sometimes using odd shaped glassware where someone doesn't have an intuitive sense about how much volume it really holds. It's about how much ice you put in a glass. If it's a cocktail that you're serving on the rocks, yeah. you know, there's a lot of ways, you know, we talked about this uh, a few episodes ago with the mint julep, right? Like here's a drink that seems like it should be really big. It comes in this pretty good sized, you know, goblet. And yet it's like a three sipper sometimes. And yeah. you know, this all goes back to kind of the, just this, this balancing act. And the martini is a great example of it. You know, even you, Adam, when you were sort of talking about what are the specs for in listening to it, I was like, well, you know, there's a huge amount of variability there. What are, what's, what ratio of, of spirit to vermouth is the bar using and, and mm-hmm. where are they starting those ratios at? Because it's one thing to say, Oh, I want a four to one Manhattan or a six to one or an eight to one or whatever. But of course a big, 
operative factor in there is like how much booze are they willing to you know, use? How much gin or vodka are they willing to use in the first place? And I would say three ounces seems like on the high side. I would be impressed if there were a lot of bars that were giving you a three ounce you know, spirit pour to go along with whatever you're, and again, maybe it's different if you're getting a two to one or something like that. Maybe they're probably not giving you three ounces of gin and an ounce and a half of vermouth. Maybe they are. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Point is, I, I think it's definitely possible that in this moment you are seeing bars look for ways to perhaps not raise menu prices, but lower costs. Because again, you know, mm-hmm. 21 bucks for a cocktail might have felt to you, Joanna, like, okay, that's kind of just the deal. We're out. I'm going to do it. But even in yeah. New York City, push getting up over twenty bucks for a for a cocktail in it that's not a doesn't seem like something you know necessarily too special might be you know that that's that might be a a hard line to cross for for a lot of bars and for a lot of drinkers you know eighteen maybe feels more acceptable but if you need to make that drink you know ten fifteen twenty percent smaller to hit your your metrics as a bar there are ways you can do that um, and I just I I think. You know, we're not going to ever have an accurate survey of the, you know, the exact volume, mm-hmm. or at least without doing a lot of uh, on the ground research, which, hey, you know, I'm happy to come out there and help if we'd like um, on the ground research <laughs> about, you know, what the volume of a martini is in 50 different Manhattan bars or whatever. <laughs> Anecdotally, we're going to just sort of hear from hear about this or not. But I think it's not inconceivable to me that some bars are just like, hey, we have to reduce the portion size slightly in the same way that yeah. restaurants do with food all the time, right? You know, they go from serving you six ounces of fish to five and figure you probably won't notice the difference. We'll oh, charge you the same amount. And that's a that's a more palatable, they think, for their diners than charging you 20% more. It's just giving you 20% less. Now, People might feel differently, but one of them is harder for the average diner to detect in the same way that a slightly smaller drink is, I think, harder for most drinkers to detect, whereas a higher menu price, everyone will notice. I think in terms of some of these places, I really do think it's more about wanting the consumer to feel like they got a full glass than wanting to reduce. I think that those places are raising the prices, but I think the two two things, one that you each brought, brought up, one, just to quickly address Joanna, Snackery cocktails are stupid on menus. I don't get why anyone's doing them. Like, I think for $12, it's ridiculous. You should just have them as, like, either, again, secret bartender handshake. Someone yeah. can ask you for them. Like, that is really dumb and I think is is showing kind of that bars have run out of ideas and are mm-hmm. trying to be cute. The thing, though, that I think in terms of, like, the, the lowering cost, Zach, that I am seeing more of that I think bars are getting away with um, is this – it's $30, but it serves two, and it comes in a special carafe with then a, two smaller glasses. Oh. That you're, I'm starting to see a lot. These services for two. Drink, which, drink service for two. Yes. Oh. Which is like, actually, it's probably like one and a half drinks in like normal world, mm-hmm. but they bring you like glasses, and they're like, oh, you poured it yourself, so it didn't have to come to the rim. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. I think that you're seeing that a lot more, and I'm, and that seems to me to be a more clever solution than mm-hmm. just continuing to shrink the glassware. It's like, okay, cool, well, but it was for two, so we didn't tell you it was a full drink for two, mm-hmm. and people start doing the math, oh, well, then this makes the cocktail $15 each, right. and that is happening a lot, especially with, I'm seeing this a lot with martinis, martinis a yeah. lot with Manhattans, of this like service for two. 
to. And I wonder if we'll see that more because what they're using for the most part, I don't know if you're seeing this at all, Zach, in Seattle, but what, what I'm seeing they're using a lot is, you know, those carafes that some, sometimes wine bars used to bust out when you yeah, order a yeah, glass yeah. of like wine. Like a little sidecar on yeah. crushed ice, yeah. That's what they're, that's what they're bringing the cocktail in. Mm-hmm. And then they're just saying, cool, like you serve yourself and oh, here's a bunch of garnishes. Like they're yes. playing with what's cheap, right? Or not cheap, but more affordable, right? They can give you a, a bunch of olives. So you can add as many olives as you want to your drink. They're giving you cherries and, you know, uh, peel, you know, orange peels and lemon peels, and whatever, letting you like finish the drink. And so it feels very interactive. We've talked about interactive before, but mm-hmm. it also is like, I think a very smart way to save some money in these times without consumers being that aware that that's what's happening. Yeah. And it definitely, it definitely plays on the fact that when you get people outside of their comfort zone in terms of, you know, like pricing and frankly, volume, it's very easy to convince them that they're getting a bargain when in fact they are not. Um, And obviously we we see this in all kinds of consumer packaged goods with all kinds of things like, you know, oh, this thing is, you know, 20% bigger and costs, you know, 30% more, but you can't, unless you sit and actually do the math, it's hard to tell or, you know, like, I mean, the famous examples of like the bags of chips that are, you know, 50% air and you just kind of like Mm -hmm. look big on the store shelves and you think, oh, I'm getting a good deal here, but I'm actually only getting a very small volume increase over the, um, the previous, the smaller bag or whatever. So I definitely have seen that. I think we started to see this um, in various ways with, you know, the punch bowl craze from a few years ago of like, oh, it's, you know, a cocktail for four or something like that. And like, I, I don't mean to say there's yep. no place for any of that stuff. I think there, there are reasons why that stuff can be kind of cool, but I definitely agree that it is a, a way to, you know, to convince people they're getting a bargain when I don't think they are. Yep. But I actually want to defend the, 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 the mini cocktails. So I actually disagree I mean, we can talk about whether they're a good sort of value for the consumer or not. I think that's a different discussion. But I actually think that this is something that I have felt for a long time, which is it pisses me off when when establishments don't accommodate drinkers who might want to have an option that isn't just one size. And so I think like it bugs Mm -hmm. me when wine when places won't serve you a half glass of wine, Um, you know, especially if you're you know, you've already had a glass or two and you're like, I just want a little more. I don't really want a full another full glass. I can understand that there might be in certain circumstances specific reasons why an individual wine, that might not be an option. But in general, if you're pouring wine by the glass, it seems sort of ridiculous to me to tell someone that, that you they can't pay, you know, essentially half price or half the mm-hmm. menu price plus a dollar or whatever for half the amount. You know, it's not, again, I agree with that. you're not ordering a half a steak. You know, I get that that's not an <laughs> option. That's fine. And again, cocktails, are there some cocktails that maybe, you know, are not are too hard to to make or, or just the getting it right needs volume, like say an egg white cocktail. Maybe you don't want to order a half a, you know, a Pisco sour. I can get that, you know, from both a ingredient and labor standpoint, that's fine. But again, if someone says I want a half a martini, I don't really understand why that's a problem. Like where is the issue here for a bar? Because the option is, you know, yes, maybe some of the time that person says, okay, I'll just take another one entirely. But are you really yeah. feeling good about, forcing someone to order more alcohol than they feel comfortable with. And conversely, some of the time they'll say, ah, never mind. And then that's just a sale that you've lost. And yeah, it's not a full sale, but a half of one I think is, you know, should still be positive for the business. And I just think like, you know, to me, I'm not saying that every bar should make you a half size version of any drink you want at any time, but certainly if they're on the menu, that's totally valid. And I kind of shocked that your uh, server 
give you a like, question to you, Joanna, but also like, <laughs> I do think that, that even in general, if you ask about it, I think again, you know, like, like with all things, if the bar's crazy busy, you know, maybe you don't want to make a, an off menu request, but in the same way that I think someone could feel, you know, okay. saying like, Hey, you know, I want to have this drink, but like, here's my preferred way of making it. I think if you said, I want to have a martini, you should be able to do that. That seems like not a big ask. Have you ever encountered that? I'm just curious. I would never even think to order half a drink. Oh, absolutely. I mean, bartending, you would really? get all Yeah, because because people will, like, I don't mean to say that it was like, oh, 10 times a day, but it would happen with not, <laughs> it was not wildly uncommon. And sometimes I'd offer it to a guest. You know, you'd see someone who was sort of wavering, honestly, on whether they wanted to have another drink or not. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I thought was like, well, if I sell them a half a drink, you know, they're like, you know, it's like, would you like another? And they're like, ah, they like, how about half? Like that, that, that's very easy sort of uh, point for someone to get to yes on. Right. And again, it was my job to sell drinks. Like that was my, that was right. my responsibility. So whether it was a, a you know, another half glass of, of wine or a, a half a cocktail or a half a beer or something, right. Like that's all, you know, that's all just profit or, you know, whatever, that's my job. And I, again, you know, I don't necessarily know that I would have offered to make half drinks out of every drink on our menu all the time, no matter what, or, you know, might've had to say no from time to time. But in general, it's like, you know, shouldn't be that difficult to do. And unless the bar is super busy, I think they should be something that a bartender could accommodate. Yeah. What I think is interesting about the, the mini, whatever mini drinks being added to menus is that, you know, some people are saying that now you can do the two martini lunch again, right? Because the, the you know, they're implying that the drinks size has grown so much in the past, whatever, 50 years um, that, you know, we're kind of go, we're, we're calling it mini now, but really <laughs> that's how big drinks were back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting. And it's interesting to see it now as we're also having these conversations around lower ABV, drinking less, like who's actually drinking less, um, more moderation. Um, so I think I think that's kind of interesting to me because really it's just how the size of, well, not this particular snackery, but like I think in some of these cases like martinis, um, they're smaller, they seem smaller, but really they're, they're just the size that they used to be because like Adam said earlier, a lot of people have grown accustomed to these monstrous drinks. Mm-hmm. One last note here too, which is like, especially with martinis, I would suspect, although I'm not the expert, that a lot of those martinis back in the, you know, whatever, the two martini lunch days were much more diluted than they are now. Like oh, people were using sure. much worse ice. The The craft in general of bartending was much less. And I think you got a, more vermouth. Yeah. Probably. Well, maybe that too, but you just got a drink that, you know, sat on ice for a while that probably wasn't like, <laughs> it, it was just much more watered down. So whether it was less volume, I don't necessarily think it was all that much less volume, but I think it was certainly less strong and that makes it a lot easier to drink more of them unsurprisingly. Yeah. 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 I agree. Wait, I do want to say though, I, I feel like I remember seeing maybe a few months ago people on social media doing this whole like pulling their ice out of their glass. And Zach, you mentioned this earlier, oh, yeah. being like, look how little liquid is actually in my cocktail. That's how it always is. Me. What do you think an old fashioned looks like when right. there's not a huge ice cube in the cup? <laughs> and like, all, yeah, all these do you drink whiskey meat? Like, I don't. Yeah. I just. Oh, but it's funny how people are noticing it now. Yeah. Right? It, but again, I think that this is, wow, I was about to close the show and then Joanna just reopened it up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I feel like, no, I like this. 
Uh, I feel like this is a lot, though. Again, this is the effects that we knew we were going to see and we said we were going to see post-COVID with mm-hmm. so many people having made cocktails at home. We yes. we weren't sure exactly how we were going to see it. Like, you know, we had these – I think a lot of it's coming to fruition, right? Like Zach and I talked a lot about how, right, Zach, we weren't going to see as many, like, Negronis yeah. as, like, the cores on many. We're going to see more riffs because people knew how to make those, mm-hmm. right? And, Joanna, you and I talked about that as well. And I feel like – um, what we also see now is that people are used to making their martini, right? So like maybe their martini does have six or seven ounces and they were filling it to the brim of their big martini glass, like Josh's yeah. dad. And then, you know, yeah. all of a sudden they're going out and they're feeling like it's smaller. That's a good point. Right. Yep. Or they're like, oh, well, my old fashioned's bigger than this maybe because they weren't using as big of a cube or they were using a bigger glass with smaller cubes. And this, the bar is using a more standard, you know, old fashioned glass with a cube that fits perfectly inside. And so it looks different to them and everyone's now challenging it in a way that I think wouldn't have happened pre-COVID when you didn't have so many people who were now very comfortable being bartenders. Mm-hmm. And I also think, and this is an, this is a tease for, I think, an upcoming episode, if a recession is coming, that's what we're going to see immediately happen is people fe- feel very comfortable to start not going to restaurants as much and immediately go home and make great drinks at home and drink good wine at home. And I think you, you'll you see less of like the pullback you've seen maybe in other recessions where people stop spending both on drinks out and in and just sort of like cutting back on both sides. I think you'll see a full cutback on out and much more of just a spend in because now everyone's realized, wait, that like bottle of wine that I really love, that nebs. You know, <laughs> that I could have, that's a hundred bucks on the list. I can get it for 35 and I still have 35 in the recession. I just don't want to spend a hundred right. at dinner. And I also like learned how to cook good pasta or, you know, whatever. So I think that's, that's all a topic for another day. Yes. Um, but I think stuff that's happening. So now to close out the show, <laughs> if you know of any small cocktails, let us know. <laughs> tiny cocktails, whatever we're going to call them. Be closer, tiny cocktails. Sorry. <laughs> my wife just wanted to out and John. It's been in the air lately. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know what you what you're thinking about them and uh we 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 would love to chat. Also, if you have other episode ideas like yes. Chelsea. Thank you Chelsea. It's the Thank best. Thank you Chelsea. Shoot us an email podcast@vinepair.com. We love to hear what you are interested in and what you'd like to hear us chat about. And uh I'll talk to you both on Friday. Have a great week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now, through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.